1: Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Street Press Podcast episode number 19, I think it is. Let me have a look. Yep, that's right. Episode number 19. Look, if you've been here before, if you've been listening since day dot, you know what this is all about. It's bringing music people in, people from the industry and uh, having an interview or a chat. I hate saying the word interview. It's not an interview. It's more just like a relaxed chat. And we talk about uh, whatever might be on their minds. And if it's your first time here, welcome. Um, My name is Sean Fraser. I'm a music journalist. Uh, I'm a singer-songwriter, yada, 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 all of that. Um, (laughs) But it's good to have you here. Today, on today's episode, we have Andy Bull. Now, he is an Australian singer-songwriter. He lives in Sydney. Uh, He's been around for more than a decade. I mean, he's not 10. (laughs) He's... His music career has been more than a decade long, uh, probably closer to 20 years, um, but he's been on this earth a longer than that. Now, Andy Bull has one of the most interesting, unique voices that you've ever heard in your life. You may not believe me right now. You may not be too sure, or if you're an Andy Bull fan, you're probably nodding wherever you are right now. It is such a cool voice, and uh, his songwriting is uh just as good they sit parallel we've got him on the show today and we chat about a lot of stuff we talk about this new record that he's about to release which is you know not too far away We talk about some of the singles all the music that sort of stuff but we we deep dive into a lot of personal things as well we discuss life and death so two things that happen to all of us um and we talk about how you know when you're faced with death how it can speed up the creative process. And uh, we both talk about our instances of that. We talk about the early moments of Andy's career and how a popular girl at school helped his career or helped skyrocket his career forward. And we also talk about criticism. Criticism does get brought up a lot in this podcast. Obviously, you know, if you were a we talk to a lot of singers on this podcast and, um, you know, when you sing... You cop criticism. But someone did tell Andy that he was the worst singer in the world. And (laughs) it's enough to make you quit. It's enough to make anyone quit. If you get told, no matter what you do, whether you're a painter, you know, you might be an electrician, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, you are the worst at this in the world, there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't come back from that. Andy Ball knew that this singing thing and the music, that was his life. And uh, a comment like that was not going to deter him from becoming a success or the success that he is these days. And uh, we also talk about how he had a residency in the city and hundreds were turning up and he still didn't even know that, you know, what he was doing was that good. (laughs) So, so it was sort of like, it was in his face that he had this talent, but he still didn't know. he drove back to the suburbs each night after the gig on the weekends going, Oh, well that was cool. Packed house. Um, A lot of uh, musicians would dream of that. But I suppose he wasn't living in the moment at that time. So, yeah, let's bring him on. This is Andy Bull, my interview with him. Uh, What what room are you in at the moment? Is this your studio? (laughs)
0: This is my uh, my home studio.
1: Nice. I
0: live on a terrace and I've got a little home studio upstairs that I use. To rehearsing and um recording and writing and everything. It's an absolute shambles at the moment. Like it it's a it's a dump, but I didn't have time to sex it up. So here we are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got plenty of good stuff in there. So is this where you're yeah, are you doing demos in, in this room or are you uh recording the albums in here?
0: Well, I you know, I just I just finished uh I just finished an album and I started it not in this room because I moved house halfway through. But uh, I yeah ended up doing a lot of recording in here, so writing it in here and then and then recording it in here, or 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 a lot of the time what happened was I have done a session elsewhere, like with a live band or something, and I bring all the stems back from those recordings, and I bring it up here in my computer, and I just I do my vocals in here, uh, and I you know do overdubs and keyboards and guitar and stuff like that, so you know um, everything but drums or strings or whatever kind of stuff you can do in a bedroom production format that a lot, a lot of that happens here. Yeah.
1: Is that, is this uh post pandemic Andy Bull, or have you been doing it this way for a while? recording from. Well, home?
0: So a bit of a backstory. I, I'm about to put out an album that this is the first time I put out an album in, it's like eight years, which is just, I don't want to talk about that. It's <laughs> a long time. It is a while. <laughs> a long time. A lot of life happened. So I, I, you know, the last album that I did, I recorded, um, mostly alone, so mostly in a recording suite that what didn't look that different to this, for example, but it was outside of my house. And I did, yeah, most of that on my own and it was quite a lonely experience. And it was really intense and there was no natural light in the studios I was in. I was always in some hovel, you know. Yep. And it did really well for me and, it, you know, launched my career in a lot of ways and heaps of touring and stuff came off the back of that. But the actual process of making the album was... It was way too solitary and, and like unsocial and, and I just didn't want to do that again. I didn't want to just like bunker down in a room and just play everything on my own after having gone through that. for like I don't want to do it that way again. I want to have social interaction, people to talk to, people to help these ideas along because you know, I still do a lot myself but there's a magic when you get together with other people So for this album, to begin with, it was all with a band and all in a semi-live context. And I tried to really um, facilitate that live feeling. So I went into the studio with songs that were maybe half finished or three-quarters finished. And I thought, well, let's instead of me imposing an idea of what this should be, I'm going to bring this semi form into the studio and let's see what happens when we all play together. And it was really good for the process, really fun. So half of it is very collaborative and then half of it is me again just being in my zone and um, working with my tools.
1: You talk about being on your own all those years ago and writing everything and playing all the instruments yourself. Is that pretty easy for you to just hand over to the to the guys or is it still like you're holding on to, oh no, I need to still be doing all the, all the instruments or were you just easy as just like, nah, it's time to take a step back from that?
0: I guess when I did my that record on my own I had a lot that I wanted to prove to myself and then I didn't feel like I needed to prove that anymore and actually realized it's not about proving for me I feel it's not about proving anything it's actually about having a really good time so for me it was very easy to hand it over
1: you do know some of the guys in the band pretty well now so it's, it's been a while isn't it
0: yeah, although sadly we haven't like I haven't played with the full band since it's like 2018, probably. Because yeah, you wow. know, the pandemic, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I've done shows since, but it's um I've either done them solo or as a duo. We've had some amazing shows as a duo as well with my uh very close friend and collaborator for like ten years now, a guy called Alex Bendison, and he's I know Alex he played yeah, yeah, he's from <laughs> the central coast, yeah, and you're yeah. from the central coast. Yeah, we right? went to yeah. the same school. But he's a beautiful guy. He's a he he's a soulmate. We've spent a lot of time touring together and playing shows, and uh, in the studio as well. So he's been a. It's been really nice to have him more involved in the process of creation at at kind of different junctures of this process because he's such a close friend, and he, I wanted to captured that friendship on record which we have a whole bunch of times and it's when I listen back it's magic very talented guy good that you guys have met it's it was one of those things you know he had uh Alex had a band on Universal we were both on Universal and we met labeled drinks or something like that and yeah, and yeah. um I hadn't known his music beforehand but he'd known some of mine and so we see maybe we talk in like MySpace or something like that it's a long time ago yeah. uh but when we met it was um he's a very charismatic guy and he's just he's larger than life physically and um and sort of energetically. So yeah, I just immediately liked him. And I was like, Oh, would you like to play a show? I had not played with him before. I was like, I'd love it if you played with some shows to me. And he was like, Okay, we've just met. He'd been working at a cafe down the road from where I live. I said, Would you just come up after after, I say after class, after work, and he came up and he played through on the guitar, like an acoustic. I had this, you know, rubbish acoustic guitar in my, um, in my terrace, and I sat down at the piano. He sat down on the uh, the guitar and we played, and I just thought, I just thought his feel, he got it immediately. I'm not an amazing guitar player, and I recorded these, um. Guitar songs for that record, and I actually quite like the play, the way I play. I'm just not very good, but he managed to mimic my not very good but enthusiastic playing <laughs> perfectly. And yeah. I was like, guys, oh, I like listening to myself, I was like, oh, you've got you've got it. Like I just realized that he had the the gift of being able to interpret. And so I said, would you do these shows with me? And and then we played like 200 shows after that, yeah, like wow. in the year and a half that followed, or two years after that, between. 2000 it was like 2010, 2012. We, you know, we played just so many shows. And we got another drummer on board, a guy called Dave Jenkins Jr., who you might know as yeah. well. He's from also the coast too. Friend, yeah. yeah. So we all played a bunch of shows and then as a trio. Then I put out the record I was talking about, and the band expanded and some you know, drum would change. Carlos came back. We got another keyboard player. We did, you know, big festivals had become a big, like sounded like a stadium show, you know. Um, but Alex has been there the whole way through. So yeah, it's, that's been an amazing, uh, friendship first and foremost, and then a creative, um, collaboration as well.
1: That's probably just as important, isn't it? The relationships that you have within a band, it's all the stuff that happens outside and away from the music that is just as important, like having a good bond and, and getting along really well that then shows on the records, doesn't it?
0: I think so. And, and. You're right that it's, it is your life as well. Like, you know, you play an hour, an hour and a half or whatever at night and then you spend the rest of the day together traveling. It's not very glamorous and you're tired and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's not enough reward for doing it to have a miserable time. Like there's Mm -hmm. no point, um, surrounding yourself with people you don't like and being someone who you don't like and, um having a miserable time, it's all the humour and the, the chats and the bonding over other music and those sorts of things that you do in the tour of, in the tour van together that make it a lifestyle that you can tolerate, if not enjoy. Do you like
1: the tour van or do you like recording at home?
0: I love it both. So long as it's going well, there's none of it that, that I don't like. That You need a balance, I think, and, and they can both be um, difficult. They both have challenges. But, you know, if you can get the chemistry right, whatever you're doing and the balance right, and not have to switch too quickly too much, switching between being focused uh, on coming up with something and then being focused on polishing it and delivering it, they're Mm. very different mindsets, I think. You can't beat writing and recording something and then going on the road
1: and then seeing someone's face say singing back or knowing the words that's just like you watching all that hard work in someone's face isn't it just going oh yeah they they know the words this is this is cool like you wouldn't get that if you if you weren't going out on the road you might be like who's listening yeah i know there's i know there's 20 000 streams coming in for this new one mm-hmm. or whatever but you just don't know who's listening until you're out on the roads here
0: It's totally abstract until you go and you talk to people. And then it becomes material and and really tangible. And that's really exciting. But yeah, you're right. Until you do that, it's it's very abstract what it is you're doing, who you're doing it for. You see play, yeah, play counts going up and down, but it's very um it's hard to connect the life on the other end of that play and the person on the end of that play counts. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Every play, every single play is very important, isn't it? Some people might take them for granted when they start clocking up. I know that yours have clocked up over the years, but yeah, every play is special, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's really um, worth remembering where your music lives and the context in which it lives. And it's not just like, yeah, watching a number index move on a screen, which I don't think when a young musician picks up their instrument, I don't think watching numbers move on a screen is on people's vision board. You know what I mean? Like I don't think that's what people dream of doing is watching their play count that what you're looking at, looking at data because we are very
1: much that way. I mean, society, they've got you know, Instagram, you've got how many followers you've got, uh, Facebook, mm. you've got how many friends you've got. Uh, mm. everything seems to be a count, doesn't it? You go on Spotify and it shows you exactly how many plays and streams and how many listeners you've got. It is so important to not worry about that stuff, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And and it's not to say that is that stuff isn't valuable and knowing where people are so you can go and play for them. But I think at some point in everyone's life you get to a point where you go, um, "Why do like what is this? What do I care about this? Mm. Why is this my focus?" Like at some point you 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 get tired of making that the focus. Yeah, Yeah. I just think that that does happen if you stay in it long enough, you feel that eventually, like that that moment of. Reconciling with the reason you're do- the purpose you've had when you started, and the thing that actually makes you happy.
1: I actually really liked when Instagram took away the the likes for mm. posts and stuff. And I remember a few people that I know were like, when they the likes came back, they were like, "Oh, I, I just wish they never came back." They felt better without that sort of stuff.
0: You can see the murmurings online. People, are they've had a bit of a shocker. Instagram, like. Mm. um talk about losing touch with your purpose i mean even as a platform they seem to be like they've been a bit confused about what it is they're offering and that makes people feel very jaded like Mm. as a platform i've sort of tried to become a tiktok thing and but that's they've lost the differentiation they've lost the whatever it is that they offered is now compromised and i think i mean there's a lesson in that for anyone doing anything it is just remembering who it is you're serving
1: as of recently I was listening to you and you don't remind me of anyone and I think I, I I want <laughs> I want to say that that's probably one of the nicest things someone uh, surely a musician could hear but I I truly mean that you know you can hear the pop you can hear a few things infused in your music but you don't remind me of anyone
0: well I mean that makes me very happy to hear <laughs> I I um yeah it's interesting
1: I suppose it leads just sort of creating your sound or do you sit there and actively carve your sound or is it just what flows out of you and and is it that easy for you you know
0: I think it's about embracing what you have and making space for it to develop it's true that since I started I mean I've always had a Slightly a unique voice, and then combined with the fact that I'm mostly a keys player, and that I have certain things I gravitate, certain sounds or melodies or whatever that I kind of just gravitate to. Whatever they got built in there in the formative years, or but the unique combination of of what it is I'm interested in, and then also just physically what I am, um, like in terms of the sound of my voice and the kind of words I use or whatever, like all of these things eventually become what might people might call your style or, yeah.
1: Now you were talking about your voice. Your voice is very unique. What's your earliest memory of turning someone's head? Do, do you oh, remember boy. that moment where, where you started singing and someone's going, oh, wow, you've got something? I mean,
0: I don't know if I remember the first moment, but I definitely remember a funny moment. I was jamming with a guy at school and we made a cassette recording. We we're playing like a Pink Floyd song or something like this. And he was a boarder, and he came back after Christmas holidays. He goes, "Yeah, I played the tape to my mum. She said you've got the worst voice you ever heard." <laughs> I went, "Oh, cool. Could you not have kept that to yourself? Like that's fine." <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, "No, I don't. Like that's just some, that's bull. And like I definitely don't have the worst yeah, yeah. Uh, voice." But um, no, I I had you know I made this rec- these recordings like um mm-hmm. I must have I was in the middle of high school like towards the end of it maybe. And they started circulating around some of the girls' schools, and um, that made me like a minor celebrity at you know some nice. of the local girls' schools, which was amazing. <laughs> it was really good because you know you then you have a bit of an identity. You know, you're the you're one of the you're this guy who can. So, do how this. did it
1: get out? So, were you sort of like handing it out?
0: I had a girlfriend who, and she she was just like one of the sort of popular girls, or a bit of a ringleader at one of the girls' schools. So I gave her a CD, I think, I don't really remember, but she had a CD. And so I think she then burned CDs and, you know, made everyone listen to it (laughs) because she was kind of a powerful character. It got out in her group and stuff like that. But then you start playing at parties and all this kind of thing. So that's funny. Yeah.
1: When you reflect on, you know, playing at the parties and, all this stuff that you're working on and that buzz that you must have gotten, you know, mm. isn't isn't that a, a beautiful moment when you when when things first start to work for you, where people start getting interested in you in your music?
0: Half the time, I didn't even clock it. Like <laughs> you won't even. You know, I, I what well, you know, as a teenager, you're just so focused on yourself and like getting through day to day that you're not even really. I have no idea what people actually think of you. Like you're deeply concerned with it, but you really don't have any idea. Mm people may have held me on my uh, music in higher esteem than I realized. And then that happened after school as well. I went, you know, I started playing a lot of shows around King's Cross and Darlinghurst in Sydney and all that kind of thing. I, you know, I had no idea like that this was special, but we would, ha- we would do residencies where a couple hundred people would turn up every week. And I just had no context for like that. That was really, that was quite a unique thing. So yeah. I really had no idea. I would show up, do my show, talk to some people after and drive home back to the suburbs. It was felt very, I really had no real tangible sense that that was actually a crazy, crazy <laughs> thing happening. So yeah. I was never very good at that uh, to begin with. Um, I've since tried to become like much more engaged with that yeah. sort of thing and like realize how special it is. More in anyone... the moment
1: kind of thing, more in
0: the moment. Yeah. So... yeah but okay. I think it's just a function of becoming more empathetic over time. Like, yeah. Um, when you start everyone, you know, as a teenager, everyone in your life is an NPC. Like you're a video game character, and <laughs> everyone else is a non-player character, like they're they're yeah. computer run. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you don't really grok that these are actual people who care and have feelings and their own ambitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older you, and you have relationships, that's the big one. That's been the big one for me. It's like having intimate relationships, like with my with my wife and stuff like that. As you go through this and you you live more life you become more empathetic and you Mm. you you have ups and downs and the whole um, gamut of life experience like people you love dying or relationships not working out or friendships ending or career ambitions happening or not happening or all of these things like just crack you right open and and you bond with people over time and you and the only way you survive all that really is by bonding with people and connecting so that's By through that process of trying to survive, you actually become more empathetic because that's how you survive.
1: I've had um, Steve Kilby from the church on here, and he said that no one believed in him um, when he was living in Canberra, making his tapes. And then I had the Mm. guys from weddings, parties, anything, and they used to play in front of nobody. But I haven't had anyone yet, such as yourself, where there's someone who's point blankly said to them, you have the worst voice in the world. (laughs) So, so, yeah. so That's a first. That's a first. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Isn't it funny that, like, all these people have all these opinions? Some people would take an opinion like that, and maybe that better crush them. Maybe they'd be gone. They'd be doing something else in their lives.
0: That's right. And you've got to work out who, like, when are the, opinion, the opinions are actually useful and when they're not. Because sometimes they're useful. I'm sure there's some code, but if someone says you have the worst voice ever heard, I mean that that just sounds like a bad yeah, opinion. Yeah, it's like, just it's, too
1: much, isn't it? It's, that's it's it's a little like...
0: unqualifiable. The opinion <laughs> is to take carefully uh, to take you know um, notice of. I think of people who. Um... Who, uh, who are invested in in you and who care that you should know something. But still, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing. Like in a creative process, people's opinions at the wrong time are totally unhelpful. Even people who care and who um, know what they're talking about, mm. at the wrong time, good advice can be very damaging. You do need to... Um, pick and choose your moments and uh, allow processes to unfold. Because at that time, maybe I didn't have the best voice, but it was the beginning of a very long process. So, yeah, yeah. And you got to get rid of this. Like, for kids particularly, I see it in the kids a lot. They have this idea that they can do something or they can't do something. And I really try to stress, it's like, no, it's not that you can or you can't. And it's not that if you did it right once that you can do it all the time or that you didn't do it right once that you can't do it ever. You're you're in a learning process that never ends, mm. and and you have good days and bad days. But if you're deeply interested in something, there's probably something there for you. Like
1: that's it. If it lights you up, just no one's going to stop you, are they? Like no matter what they say.
0: That's right. And you and I think that's worth preserving is your enthusiasm. I think if you crush people's enthusiasm for life, that's a very damaging thing. You've got to allow room for trial and error and for growth, and yeah, not get settled on this idea that something can or can't be done. And that, I think that kind of thinking plagues people, that yeah. something can or can't be done.
1: Your latest stuff, so the album's almost out, but the stuff mm. I've heard, and don't throw anything at me, but it's a bit more commercial, I feel, than say the stuff from from your, your latest album, which was, what, eight years ago. I feel like there's more success coming like just from just from the few songs that I've heard. And I just, I mean, you're already well and truly established, then successful in your own right. But I'm pretty excited about what I've heard so far.
0: Uh, you know, I agree. I totally agree. And it's really interesting. I might not use the exact same terminology, but I know exactly, yeah. I think I know exactly what you mean. Sea of Approval, I mean, that was that's the last album. And, it, you know. There was a lot of stuff I wanted to experiment with and I wanted to go somewhere atmospheric and sometimes a bit angular, a little bit more, I guess some of it's like a bit more art pop or something like that. It's a hard thing to describe because I I don't, I don't think I'm a pretentious artist. Mm -hmm. I'm not highfalutin and I don't, um, I don't think I have delusions of grandeur in what I do. So I do, I'm always trying to contract what I do down to something more focused, but definitely on that record, I did want to go somewhere kind of a bit angular and mm-hmm. um, a bit dark sounding. And then coming out of that, I had a, I had some life experiences, like my dad got really ill after I made that record and began a long decline, like over four years dying of Alzheimer's. And so he died, This actually he died two years ago yesterday. And then, then my, I had to sit, my wife nearly died. I won't give you the whole story, but it was like, really, it was a big deal. And we just had our second kid and I was nearly a a widower and it was a really intense time. This was last year. Between those two things, I decided what I really want is to make something beautiful and, and to have fun because you don't know how much time you have. I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Um,
1: Truly. It's it's
0: life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, are there songs about that? Have
1: you been writing about it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it, it informed a lot of the songs. I, I, when my dad was dying, I was very sad for a couple of years about that. On the way, mm. when he finally passed away, the feeling was of relief. Anyone would tell you, we've had some yeah, yeah. with the chronic illness and they die. It's like, thank God, their suffering is over because life is very difficult for them and it's very painful for them and confusing. And mm. um, so, when that ends, it is a huge relief. Um, to know that they're not, that's not their reality anymore. I don't, I, I don't even know how you conceptualize reality of someone who has Alzheimer's, like, it gives me chills to think about what kind of a nightmare that must be towards the end. Um, but I was very sad. That's the best way of putting it about that. And I, you know, things would make me feel very emotional for particularly, yeah, as he got worse, was really um, on reflection now. Like yesterday, my brother and mine was, you know, was two years since dad died. And I was like, far out, two years. And I reflect, It's was like, oh, you know, it actually, actually affected me more than I realized at the time. Thinking about the way that I feel now is quite different to the way I felt two or three years ago. Mm. Uh, just, just physically, like there's a lightness now, not carrying that sort of um, very sad story with me all the time. Um, but that absolutely informed the writing of certain songs. Like there's a lot um, – the album is called People You Love. So particularly the songs I wrote during that time were about um, the relationships you have with other people and and uh, valuing them despite their complexity. Like there's a song called Bold Love, particularly I think I had my dad in mind for that one, where it's like, you know um, – give bold love while there's still time, I think is the refrain from that song. So I think it definitely was It was in there a lot. When my
1: dad passed away, I loved to write songs too. Um, mm. I started moving faster with that sort of stuff. And do you feel that when you, you had a really bad experience with your wife, obviously you lost your dad as well, did you start thinking, you know, this could, this could happen to anyone, I, I'd like to get as much creative stuff out as possible?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There was... Um, a phrase that kept coming into my mind. I remember reading an interview, but it was with MGMT, and they did a record with um, the guy from Flaming Lips. I think he produced it. And I remember them saying that this guy, he he kept always saying, when you have all these questions, just remember it doesn't fucking matter. (laughs) You you got all these concerns about what is this and this sound. It's like, and he was like, it doesn't fucking matter. (laughs) And I heard that in my mind all the time, which really set me free because – when I, that album I was doing on my own, I was trying to figure so much out. I just thought every decision is going to represent something about my ability to do this. Overthinking everything. Say, yeah. yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And there's some utility in that because it makes you try lots of things and you develop a lot of skills, but it makes it very slow and it can really rob the joy. So this time I was like, yeah, it just doesn't matter. Like particularly I've gotten so much music done. Half the record has been written in the last eight months. And this, I got a single coming out, um, called something I've been thinking and it's one of my best ones. I'm sure of it. And it took three days to do, you know, (laughs) and it was like one, it was one of the, I got there in the end. It was the last one I did for the break. I was like, I'm glad I got there in the end where it was like, it takes three days between coming up with the first idea and finishing off the mix to have an amazing thing because along the way I was like it doesn't matter I'll do that later just keep going all of the all that where you get stuck thinking perfection it's like I don't have time I don't have time and I literally now in my life I don't have time so having that sense of like you don't have time time is precious life is precious it crystallize my creative process in um in like a very real way
1: it's a bit annoying because it's a bit it's it's almost like a tiny bit of anxiety there because you're like you gotta do this gotta get it out there but geez it really kicks you along doesn't it
0: yeah I I think there's something to the idea of focusing on quality sorry rather than against right focusing on quantity over quality
1: keep writing songs keep going keep going and then eventually that diamond will come along.
0: That's it the quantity will take care of the quality.
1: Which uh, which song do you like on the album the most? Is there one that stands out?
0: Man, I you know I've listened to all of them so many times. It's really unusual for me to say this, but like I don't think I could pick a favorite. There's a there's a real arc of different sounds and stories on the record. Yeah. And whenever I hear them, I'm like, oh wow, holy, this one. There's a song called Leader on the record that I remember when I did that. It's the first one I ever did done anything like that, and I thought this is one of the best things I've ever done. So. Yeah, I mean, I hope other, pe- other people agree with me because if you start thinking this way, you go, oh, maybe I'm insane because only an insane person would rate themselves this highly. But <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but when I listen through it, and, and obviously sequencing it all together so that it feels like a good body of work, that's a, another thing. But when I listen through each one individually, I'm like, this just sounds beautiful to me. Like I, I wouldn't want to change anything about these. They're, they're just um, amazing and for different reasons. So I couldn't pick a favourite. I'm not typically the kind of person that big ups myself. But I just, when I sat back and finally finished this, I was like, so nice to get to a point in life where you can say that about something you've done Mm. and not be ambivalent about like, it's pretty good, but I also don't like these things. I think I got lost here. Um, I might end up feeling that way. But at the moment, I've never felt so good about something I've done. This feels like the sum of a whole life of experience. Nice, um, yes. Creatively and whatnot. So
1: yeah, yeah, I'm definitely getting a good feeling about whatever I've heard, so I'm very excited to hear the rest of it. Gonna Thanks, be, man. Thank It's going to be great. You got some gigs coming up as well.
0: Yeah, it's surreal to be doing it again after you know all the sh- postponements and all the kind of madness of the last yeah. um, two years, and then trying to you know fight to get venue space and all that kind of thing. It's a pretty wild time to be putting out music. I got to tell you, it's a pretty crazy time to be touring. I think it is a good time, though.
1: I mean, I, I know, I know what you mean, but mm. I just feel like. I've got a lot of friends that love music but aren't musicians and they're just like gagging for <laughs> for music yeah. to, to go and see. So I think it is quite an exciting time for musicians with material, new material, because yeah. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm going to go see Andy Bull, and he's got some new stuff out. This is going to be a great night.
0: Mm, I think, you know what, you have to sort of, you have to just do it rather than try to strategize the best time like you never know what's around the corner. You gotta just get out there and do what you're able to do. So yep. these shows will be solo or duo, for example, because that's just that's for now. And then mm-hmm. next year hopefully full band. But like well, whatever you can do, I think you should do it. Dip your toe in the water and um or throw well, yourself into whatever it is. You know well what
1: we've seen in the last couple of years is that all the fun can be taken away, can't it? I mean just like that. Yeah. Like the music and and I'm glad you're still going and you got through it. And not only did you go get through it, you wrote a bloody album, you're releasing <laughs> it, you're playing gigs again. It's been so great to have you on here. And uh and thanks for opening up about a few of those things. I mean, they're not easy to talk Likewise. about that, that 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 sort of stuff. But uh
0: Yeah, but you know, like that, that happened to everyone, you know, one way or another. You end up facing it one way or another, everyone. Yeah.
1: yeah that's right. <laughs> All right, Andy. Thanks for jumping on, man. Thank you so much. Oh, man,
0: thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Until next time, brother.
1: See you, man. There he is, Andy Bull. What a lovely guy. Go and check out his music. Uh, As I said at the top end of this podcast, he has the most unique voice that I've ever heard. He does not sound like anyone, like I said, in that interview with him. Uh, he is, uh, it's fascinating. He's, he's got a great story as well. Uh, and his new album is coming out very, very soon. Um, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. All right, it's time for this. Letters. All right, this is the part of the show where you can write on in, head to the streetpresspodcast.com forward slash letters, and you can leave some comments you can write anything about the show you can write anything about the artists um you can you can request as well an artist that you think that i should put in for to interview um and i do do this when you do this i do hit up their pr agency uh not everyone says yes um i will not name the artist phil Jefferson amy shark um (laughs) there are a few that say no to this podcast, to being on it. Um, and never rudely. It has never been rude. Um, it, sometimes it just does not work with their um, tour schedule, that sort of thing. So I will try for um, even the people i have been knocked back by. <laughs> so anyways, let's get on with letters. Uh, this one's from Jake McMillan. So Jake McMillan He runs Sly Withers Sly Space. Now, obviously, I had the boys from Sly Withers on a couple of weeks ago. So, the Sly Space is the band's uh, group on Facebook. So, Jake created this um, group. And what I've been doing with the show lately is I've been obviously a lot of them are filmed. and I haven't decided whether I'd make this podcast a video podcast, whatever. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is I made a YouTube account and I started uploading snippets of the podcast. You can go check it out. It's the Street Press Podcast on YouTube. Um, subscribers, none. I don't have a single subscriber at the moment. <laughs> but Jake McMillan did find his way to a video where Jono and Sam from Sly Withers, were talking about Sly Space, which is the group that he created. And I love this. It's, it, it warms my heart. He says, this makes my heart so full. He, um, he was so happy to see his name mentioned by the boys from Sly Withers. And uh, I didn't know that this show would have that sort of effect. <laughs> it's always good to be able to connect the fans with the artists. Uh, this is what it's all about, uh, this podcast. But, Jake, you are doing an incredible job with Sly Space and keeping all the Sly Withers fans up to date on what the band is up to. We love Sly Withers. As for my band, the Ritzy Kids, uh, lots happening at the moment. Uh, We are gearing up for this gig in just a couple of weeks' time, December 16, at the Sunker Monkey Hotel. It's a Friday night, one week before Christmas. We've been coming up with some some ideas for the show. There's going to be some giveaways. Um, It's going to be a fantastic night. It's going to be so much fun. And... uh, You know, that time of year, nice and relaxed, everyone's pretty chill. So uh, if you want to come along, head to theritzykids.com. I've got all the info on there as well as the tickets. You can grab one on there too. And uh, this Friday, I'm super pumped for this crank the stereo it's the Ritzy kids brand new single it's coming out in two days time and me and the boys are really really pumped so i mean it's been a long time coming the boys have been jamming and jamming and jamming every week and uh finally we hit up the studio we got in there and we got a few songs done this is the first of the few uh it's called crank the stereo and uh you know what i might just play a little bit now Yes. Rubbing my hands together. So that's coming out on Friday. Make sure you hit it up. Check out the Ritzy Kids. Go to the Ritzy Kids Instagram, the Ritzy Kids Band. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, lots happening. Really excited for it. Um, next week on the Street Press podcast, though, a really, really cool guest. He's someone who knows all the secrets of the industry. So it's a really uh, fascinating chat with him and... Um, There's plenty of good goss coming next week, so make sure you tune in. Don't forget the Street Press Podcast. We drop episodes every Wednesday. I'll catch you next week. Ta-da.